Did your favorite NFL team win the Super Bowl? No? Then the NFL Draft is your Super Bowl. I'm Danny Heifetz, and from now until the draft, we are turning our fantasy football show feed into the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we talk about the top players and most important storylines for the NFL Draft. So join us on the Ringer NFL Draft Show. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, it is officially championship week in college basketball. One of my favorite weeks in college basketball And it's not just because of Champ Week, it's because the Rick Pitino sweepstakes is just beginning. Yes, you heard it here first, folks. St. John's lost yesterday in the Big East Tournament, and now all eyes are turning towards Rick Pitino. What's next for Rick Pitino? We'll talk about Georgetown and the end of the Patrick Ewing era, and maybe that makes sense for Rick Pitino. It's a whole lot of Rick Pitino conversation on the show, so we're excited for that. Also, the Mike Bray era ends in Greensboro, and so does Jim Beheim's career with Syracuse under very Jim Beheim circumstances. We'll talk about all that. Shout out to my guy Jerry Stackhouse for winning SEC Coach of the Year. We'll talk about all that as well. It's a jam-packed show here for Championship Week. We've got a great guest as well. He is the voice and the face of college basketball. You know him. You love him. He loves young Jeezy. His name is Jay Billis. We're excited to have him on OSP for the first time in program history. Going to be a lot of fun. Uh, a, a lot of big topics. You know, there's a lot of big games going on this weekend. we got Selection Sunday coming up. We're excited for that show. I'm going to be back on Sunday to break that all down. Um, this is a jam-packed week of college basketball. The most fun you can ever have in the world in March. Kyle, is there anything that you're fired up about before we get into this? Yeah, you were you were talking uh, Rick Pitino, and um, <laughs> I mean, I just I've got thoughts, buddy. I've got thoughts. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I I heard I heard him say uh, he's not going to go anywhere unless he thinks they can go to a Final Four. So I mean, you gotta you just gotta wonder. It's like uh, when's the last time you heard about these these prospective uh, Big East teams that would fit his like mo and his slick back hair and his suits. Uh, you gotta Ugh. just wonder if, if it's like, wait, but are you, but are you good enough? Are you, are you hot enough? It's like a dude saying I only date tens <laughs> and it's like, uh, she's, she's a lawyer and she's a, she's a nine and a half and she's five, eight and she's awesome. It's like, but is she a 10 though? So right. I, I, you know, and, and Rick Pitino doesn't look that great himself. So it's just, it's just funny. Uh, it's, it's funny that I, that's, I'm going to be looking through those colored glasses when I'm looking at, could they make a final four though? Cause that's what he says. Yeah, let's get out our Adidas track suits. Let's see where we where we end up, and uh, let's hope that Rick Pitino makes us as happy uh, as he has in the past. We'll get into all that, but first, 
Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. Technical foul. All right, we are back. It is Friday, March 10th, and I am in my studio in Los Angeles as the rain is pouring down. It has been raining. It has been cold. It has been everything opposite of what Los Angeles promised me. Um, so if you are uh, someone that is envious of living in Los Angeles these days, that's not quite the case. Is that right, Kyle? You're sick, actually, because of all this rain, right? Um, yeah, I'm sick. Uh, I think it's because <laughs> we went to we're all in the same place uh, on Tuesday night or Monday night, I believe, for the Verno KOC show. Yeah, shout uh, out to those guys. And, uh, I don't know. I just I went out. I went out afterwards with uh, Verno, who couldn't go anywhere because he lost his ID and uh, Jim Cunningham. And, you know, it was just basically me and Jim Cunningham Cunningham for about an hour. And the next thing I know, I wake up and I'm sick. So uh, I've been sick for a solid three days. And, uh, you know, thanks. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, blame Jim. Jim is the reason he is the culprit, as is tradition on the show. We can blame Jim. Uh, but it was good to see Jim. Uh, I miss him, our, our old producer uh, back in the day, a guy who was in the trenches with us at the Ringer. So we always have some love for Jim. But uh, speaking of Jims, let's talk about Jim Beheim, uh, another curmudgeon from New York City, um, a guy who is uh, ending his career weirdly, strangely, and not really on his terms, uh, in case you missed it, at around 2.07 p.m. in the afternoon uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina, Jim Beheim's least favorite place in the world. He had a press conference after losing on a last-second shot to Wake <laughs> Forest, and he goes in there and he says, this is on Wednesday, he says, uh, basically, this is the the end, and it is not by his, his choice, it is not his decision, um, but, uh, you know, this is the end of his run, his 47 years at the helm with uh, Syracuse basketball. And we got a lot of conversation after the fact, um, you know, who made this decision, uh, you know, who, who decided that this would be the end for Jim Beheim. And I think, you know, after the fact, it was pretty uh, simple. It was the Syracuse university that decided that red Autry, Adrian Autry, one of, uh, you know, I got my five-star shirt on right now. Adrian Autry is a five-star legend um, and from North Carolina. So I'm a big fan of red Autry, but he is now going to be the head coach of the Syracuse orange. It is a new era um, and we just lost another legend in, in the ranks of college basketball. And look, Jim Beheim did not say he was retiring. Um, he just said that this was the end of his time with Syracuse. So maybe we got a situation on our hands, Kyle, where uh, Rick Pitino and Jim Beheim are both on the open market and they're both looking for jobs. There's a chance that St. John's in Queens, New York could open up. So there could be a battle in New York for New York supremacy there for basketball where uh, Jim Beheim and Rick Pitino are gunning for the same job, which is uh, that's a world I want to live in. Um, so that was the big news out of Green out of Greensboro, obviously, that Jim Beheim is no longer going to be the head coach of the Orange. We got a lot of tributes from the likes of Buddy Beheim. Um, you know, even a guy, Kevin Connors at Sports Center that went to Beheim's camp growing up, had a nice little tribute. We got a lot of people talking about the impact of Jim Beheim. And, you know, look, as much as on this program, we like to make jokes and talk about Jim Beheim, you know, maybe pissing his pants a couple of times like he did on the sidelines over the years or picking his nose and things like that. Those are all in good fun because at the end of the day, we love characters in college basketball. I'm going to keep saying that, keep hammering that point home. And G Jim Beheim is one of those characters in college basketball that you really can't miss. Um, and it's because he is a, a shadow of sorts, a man who, you know, in particular could have won if he coached for three more seasons, for 50 seasons. There was a world in which he could have been the winningest coach in college basketball history, eclipsing Mr. K, a.k.a. 
Coach K. Um, but the powers that be at Syracuse say we are we are not going to let that happen. We are not going to let Jim Beheim uh, hold us over and, and uh, continue to coach at this program for the next, you know, however long it would take. I feel like Jim Beheim, if it was up to him, he would have stayed on that bench until 2030 at least. I mean, people forget 2015, Jim Beheim told us that 2018 would be his last season, last season coaching Syracuse. We are now in 2023, in case you aren't keeping up. So that's about five years ago. Uh, Jim Beheim overstayed his welcome for about five years. But that was the big news in the coaching ranks. I, I think there's a lot of questions now as to how do we replace these legends, right? How do we replace these quote-unquote faces of the franchise, the, these faces of the program? College basketball, if you've ever watched any tournament in college basketball and you see the promo, a perfect example is like the Champions Classic, right? The, the the first big tournament of the season. When you ever, whenever they show the promo of the Champions Classic, it's it's not the players that are on the promo. It's the coaches, right? It's Tom Izzo. It's you know back in the day, it was Coach K. It was Bill Self, right? It's John Calipari. These are the guys that are the, the faces of college basketball, and they kind of dictate what the sport is and what it looks like moving forward. But we live in a new world now. I mean, with NIL, guys are hanging around and playing for a long time. With the COVID years, we got guys that are 26, 27 years old, still playing college basketball. I mean, a guy like Tiger Campbell, I feel like he's been at UCLA for almost a decade now, right? I mean, Perry Ellis was a guy at Kansas that we all made the jokes that he was there forever. I mean, Perry Ellis is nothing. You could bat an eye at Perry Ellis's career um, considering – what we see now in college basketball. But but I think Jim Beheim kind of, you know, him leaving and the way that he left, um, it, it wasn't, it was fascinating, obviously, but it also kind of marked th- this turn, um, th- this watershed moment, I feel like, in the sport as we've lost a lot of legends the past couple of years. So, um, you know, poor one out for Jim Beheim. As someone that watched him come in the ACC, watched him disrespect Greensboro, North Carolina, Watch him uh, be very upset over the years for having to play in the ACC tournament instead of uh, in Madison Square Garden at the Big East tournament. I feel like it's time for Jim for Jim Beheim to kind of step away, um, and and maybe he has some fun, you know, in this life, you know, post basketball. Maybe he does a radio show with Coach K, him, Mr. K. Maybe the two of those guys get on Sirius XM and they have a nice little, you know, ratata. They do like a little, um, you know. One of these podcasts that we're on right now, maybe they do that. So that could be fun. But shout out to Jim Beheim. I feel like that rocked college basketball a little bit. We got, you know, a lot of reactions. Um, but another coach that also ended his time and tenure, um, at least with Notre Dame, we don't know what his future will be in coaching. Um, but Mike Bray, also in Greensboro, um, you know, ends his career there. And uh, it's going to be sad to see someone with so much energy, with so much electricity, leave Notre Dame, a guy who was there for 23 years. Mike Bray. Um, came on this program, or he came on One Shining Podcast and came on uh, the, the second iteration with Titus and Tate. Um, he was always so gracious. He was always so funny. He was always so affable. Um, so seeing those two guys, you know, kind of in their run in Greensboro was a little bit of a shock to the system, but I wanted to to give them their due and give them, you know, their tip of the cap because uh, I'm going to miss them. Uh, I'm going to miss them both for totally different reasons, right? I'm going to miss the fun of Mike Bray and I'm going to miss the fire of Jim Beheim, And, uh, you know, those are two things that college basketball has always been founded upon. And uh, it's going to hurt, um, you know, not seeing them around. Another coach of note that we have to point out, there's a lot of, this is coaching carousel season, right? There's a lot of programs that are making decisions as the season ends. And uh, Georgetown 
as one of those programs. Georgetown is obviously a storied program with what Big John did. Um, and then JT3 after him. I mean, Georgetown, when I was coming up, was still a powerhouse. Um, I remember the Roy Hibbert teams. You know, I remember going and watching Steph Curry play uh, Georgetown in Raleigh, one of the greatest tournament games you'll ever see. And that was a time when Georgetown felt like they were they were right up there. You know, I mean, could even be considered a blue blood at the time. I know there's a lot of conversation about who's new blood, who's blue blood, who's true blood. But um, Georgetown at that time in 2008 felt very much like a blue blood uh, in the ranks of college basketball. They are far from it these days. Um, Patrick Ewing has six seasons. We all remember the 2021 Big East tournament run. That was amazing. That was um, special. Um, it was great to, to witness that. And I'm happy that, you know, all the Georgetown faithful and, you know, the ghost of Big John got to have that moment in the sun. Uh, I'm really happy for, for Coach Ewing, too, that um, he had that. It's going to be unfortunate to see, um, you know, the, the future of Georgetown, if it's not connected or tied to Patrick Ewing. So I'm hoping and I'm, you know, knocking on wood, Kyle, that there's a chance that our guy Rick Pitino, um, I, I saw The Athletic put out an article that said, Rick Pitino, it's time, go get him. I, I love when, uh, you know, outlets put out these these narratives, these big stories that are like, you got to go get this guy. Uh, I never thought that after the way things ended at Louisville with Rick Pitino, we'd ever see one of those stories again. Uh, as we remember, Rick Pitino told all of us uh, that he would ne never coach again. Um, we're far removed from that. He obviously went to Greece and coached, and now he's been at Iona, and Iona won the other day with you know a nice 20-point win in the NAAC in Atlantic City in their tournament. So hopefully they can make it to the big dance. Fingers crossed that that happens. But Georgetown, um, they they are a fascinating, fascinating job. Uh, they they are a fascinating program. They have a lot of history, as I said. They have the connection to the Jordan brand, and uh, when you're connected to Jordan brand, you're connected to Nike. Um, a lot of people have said that uh, Rick Pitino would would want to saddle back up with Adidas, the three stripes. I know I said we should put our Adidas tracksuits on, but I think there's a world in which Rick Pitino deviates from the plan. I think the there's a world. Right. Why, why not? I mean, they're like, if anything, Adidas, as we all learned uh, from the FBI bit, is like Adidas frauded Rick Pitino and frauded Louisville. I mean, they they were the real culprits in the situation. So people forget. It, people forget. In my mind, I think that Rick Pitino uh, might want to go elsewhere. And why not go to the number one brand? Why not go to the number number one novelty brand within the number one brand, which is Jordan brand? at Georgetown, and uh, I think you'll be able to recruit with Jordan Brand. I think you'll be able to play the cool card. And as Kyle pointed out at the top of the show, Rick Pitino wants to go to a program that knows how to go to Final Fours and knows how to compete at the highest level. And if you look at the history of Georgetown, I mean, look, just think about Patrick Ewing's playing career, right? 1982, Big John and Patrick Ewing go to the national championship game. They play North Carolina. Michael Jordan hits the shot. The rest is history. But Georgetown still gets the title game. 1984, Patrick Ewing, Georgetown, John Thompson, same group. They go to the national championship game. They win the national championship. An amazing run. 1985, Georgetown again goes to the national championship game. And unfortunately, they run into a Villanova team with Raleigh Massimino, uh, one of the greatest upsets in college basketball history, an eight seed, uh, a team that they played in conference. And uh, Ed Peakney and, uh, you know, and, and that team, the McLean brothers, they, they get together and get a big win over Georgetown. But again, I say all that to say that Georgetown with Patrick Ewing as a player, they go to three national championship games. Granted, they only won one, 
But if Patrick Ewing had won all three of those, we're talking about Patrick Ewing as potentially the greatest college basketball player ever, you know, in the same conversation as a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who obviously won three championships um, his sophomore, junior, and senior year. He wasn't allowed to play his freshman year. He could have won four, potentially, if he played his freshman year. But but that's besides the point. Georgetown is a top-tier uh, program, and they have been in the past. And if you're Rick Pitino and you're trying to check that Final Four box, I could see Georgetown being there. And I, and I mentioned this with Kyle Mann on our last show, but there needs to be some sort of connective tissue between Patrick Ewing uh, and whoever the new head coach is. And Rick Pitino and Patrick Ewing ha- have a relationship. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to flex the five-star thing again. I mean, these guys, you know, Rick Pitino coached him at five-star and recruited him when he was in Boston. Um, and, you know, I just think there's some sort of relationship there. I know Georgetown is greasing the wheels. They're trying to to get their top candidate and, and, and make sure it's the right guy this time around. But Rick Pitino makes a lot of sense to me. And the fact that, you know, the media push is behind Rick Pitino um, might make it even more suitable for Georgetown to make that move. But if it's not going to be Rick Pitino to Georgetown and, and Georgetown wants to go elsewhere, um, two other names I want to throw out there for the people at home. I think Ron Hunter. Uh, if you don't remember Ron Hunter, he is uh, famous for his son, R.J. Hunter, uh, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Ron Hunter was sitting on a stool when uh, when R.J. hit a big shot in the tournament, fell off his stool, his stool when he was celebrating, um, and then he went to his press conference afterwards and he called out uh, President Obama. This is 2015. He called out President Obama for his bracket, one of the greatest uh, NCAA tournament moments. Uh, if you remember that, it was a great time. But Ron Hunter uh, is at Tulane right now. Um he is a a coach that uh, that has my attention. You know, he is someone that knows how to coach basketball. I think he could almost be like a, a Big John 2.0. Now, I don't want to put that pressure on Ron Hunter. I know that's a lot to say, but I think Ron Hunter could go to Georgetown and create a, a culture and a program that identifies and fits with what Georgetown is. And I think that they could they could succeed at a very high level. Um, the other name, uh, and I mentioned him before, talking about his you know end of his run with Notre Dame. I think Mike Bray, uh, a guy who knows the DMV very well. The DMV is one of the most basketball-rich areas in the country. This is a place that, you know, I mean, go, you just go through the list. I mean, with the high schools, you know, a Dunbar High School, right? I mean, there, there's just, uh, you know, uh, I got Muggsy Bogues behind me. That's why I was thinking about Dunbar High School. But, I mean, just in general, um, you know, Mike Bray coach under Morgan Wooten, um, this is, and obviously that's DeMatha fame of DeMatha fame. DeMatha's had a lot of talented players come out. So, uh, Mike Bray knows the DMV area. He knows, you know, kind of what it would look like to, to get Georgetown rolling again. He, he recruited back in the time when Georgetown was rolling. Um, so I think that Mike Bray would just be a fun culture fit for Georgetown. I think he would understand Georgetown and, you know, coming from Notre Dame, a school with a brand that, kind of operates from this this place of class you know I know every school likes to say that they're the classiest but you know I think Georgetown that's who they want to be and obviously their academics and things like that matter so I uh I could see Mike Bray being a really really good fit for Georgetown so if I'm the Georgetown Hoyas um those are the three guys that are at the top of my list I think the first phone call is Rick Pitino why not go for for the white whale of it all why not go for your Moby Dick and say I want to bring you down here and give you this opportunity to win one more national championship and why not do it at Georgetown? So that's my first phone call. And if Rick Pitino is like, you know what? I want to stay in New York. I want to see what happens with the St. John's job. You know, I, I want to be closer to my home, a guy that I think he was 
Rick Pitino was born in Manhattan, but grew up in Long Island. So he's a New York guy through and through. Um, so maybe he says no. And if he does, I think you immediately have two great options in a Mike Bray and a Ron Hunter. And you could argue which one makes the most sense for now. Um, but I think that would be great. I think those those could be some home run hires for Georgetown. And I know, look, we're in the middle of champ week and a lot of people are like, why are we talking about, you know, teams that are <laughs> that are this bad right now? But it is fascinating. And, and I'm always a fan of um, the potential of programs and what they could be. Um, so, you know, Georgetown, you have my attention. And uh, Kyle, if Rick Pitino does go to Georgetown, I think you and I have to saddle up and be on the bandwagon. I think that that's the only answer uh, as friends of the program. We have to become big Georgetown guys. I, I, that sounds great to me. Love love the sound of that. Just a couple cleanups from the old One Shining podcast. Is it true that you used that we used to call Mike Bray the loosest coach in America, or did I make that up? He is the loosest coach in America. You were 100% right. He was at right. that 2018 finals, like courtside, right? Like yes. Just, just yes. hamming it up. And two, yeah. uh, just a side note, I just want to say I still follow the insane owner of uh, – of that Greek team that, that Rick Patino coached for. Uh, and it's just, he's, I've never, I always wonder like, who is this guy on my feet? I'm like, Oh, that's right. He's got this weird Instagram name. It's like GPZ 0007. <laughs> and he's always like shirtless smoking cigarettes. Like, uh, uh, it's, uh, I just wanted to say, I still follow that guy. And I, I, th- I thought the coverage of that story was just immaculate by us. Yeah, if I could pronounce words properly, I would try to pronounce his name, um, but I'm not even going to try to do that. But yeah, we had John Gonzalez come on and explain to us what Rick Pitino was doing in Greece, and uh, it was as hilarious uh, as as we assumed it would be. Um, I think if Rick Pitino gets hired, you and I will take some shots of Casamigos, we'll chant sports, and uh, you know we'll we'll move on and be happier and better for it. Um, I just think that you know, look, Georgetown would be a great opportunity for everybody involved. Um, I'm a fan of that. Uh, but th- those are kind of like the big notes that I really wanted to hit, obviously, outside of the, the main basketball that's going on. This is a Friday. Uh, we have championship games that are coming up on Saturday and Sunday. So a lot of the the basketball conversation will be dated anyway. So why not talk about some evergreen stuff like who's going to take the Georgetown job? Um, so there we have it. And now, uh, you know, let's get to the real basketball talk uh, outside of all this. We got Jay Billis joining us now. So now let's uh, let's hop over and talk to Jay. Sports. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. All right, now joining us on One Shining Podcast, he is the face and the voice of college basketball and the only Duke person to ever be loved by my mother. He is ESPN legend Jay Billis. Jay, thanks for joining One Shining Podcast. You know, I don't, usually don't get introduced by uh, by my mother loves him type of thing, but that's a good thing. I'll take I'll take any love I can get. Thank you. Hey, you're you're adored, and uh, you know, look there there was this moment in time back in 2012. We were at the Orleans Arena. I was the, there watching North Carolina 2011 2012 season, and uh, North Carolina played UNLV, and I was a young man. I was a freshman in North Carolina. I went over with my mom, and we met you. And uh, my mom was like, "He's the best Duke guy ever. He he's the only Duke guy I'll ever love." And uh, you know, I just wanted to let you know that you're you know a lot of people think the rivalry is, is split there's no love lost but uh jay billis you're number one on the big board yeah i think your mom likes my wife that's that's the <laughs> issue 
<laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't? Who wouldn't? Um, but let's get into the basketball. I know that you're at uh, you're in Greensboro right now. You're in a gym. So I, w- I want to get you out of here and uh, and get through this stuff as quickly as possible. So I'll start uh, with uh, with the number one headline. That's my question. What's your number one headline this season? And uh, and I'll give you a start. Is it that the preseason number one team is not going to make the tournament for the first time since the 74, 75 season? Because as a Carolina guy, I feel like that might be my number one headline. You know, that's certainly, I think, uh, uh, one of the headlines of the year that we expected more from North Carolina. Um, I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, when there are expectations, we throw it on the team. We're the ones that that started those expectations by putting them number one. Right. And I think probably all of us, myself included, uh, undervalued the contributions of Brady Manick last year and how much he really uh, added to that team, his ability to stretch the floor. And he's the type of guy that could make six or seven threes in a given game. And they just don't have that this year. And so you could load up on their guards, load up on Armando Baycott. He's doubled all the time. They yeah. did have some injuries here and there, which slowed things. But, but they were better than they played. And uh, But but I, I tend to think the headlines were the big guys. Uh, you know, if you look at first team All-America, I think the average height is 6'9". There's not a guard in the group unless you count Brandon Miller of Alabama as a, as a hybrid guard. Uh, it, it's been a dominant year for for big men. And uh, and we'll see if that carries through in the tournament, because all of us like to say almost reflexively that uh, the guards win in March. Uh, that's like saying quarterbacks win in the NFL. Um, <laughs> you know, if you have a great quarterback, you got a chance. If you don't, m- maybe not. But if you can't block or if you can't you can't defend or all these, you don't have receivers, then uh, then the quarterback uh, thing is diminished, just like in, in basketball. If you can't rebound or you can't defend the, the, the paint. Uh, your guards can be as as good as you want. Like Baylor's got great guards and they're really good, but they don't guard very well. NC State's got great guards, uh, but their front court doesn't match up with it. And and those two teams, in my view, aren't title contenders. They they right. may get to a Final Four because just about anybody can do that uh, if their bracket blows up. But uh, winning a championship's a different deal. And you mentioned the title contenders. I've seen a lot of people this year, you know, usually typically we're talking about maybe eight to 10 teams, right? That could quote unquote, win the national championship, win six games. And I've seen a lot of conversation about this year because it is so wide open. There's around 15 to 20 teams. You know, there's a lot of, you know, I've seen people say maybe a Marquette, right? As a team that could win a national championship this year. That That's how deep we're getting into the repertoire. In your mind, do you think that it has opened up that much or is it more, more of the same and maybe we're we're all being a little bit, uh, you know, like we're being a little bit lenient on what that line is this year. Yeah, I think this sort of wide open thing, first of all, we seem to say that every year. Uh, this <laughs> right. year, it, it does it does feel that way, though. It, you know, I've always kind of barked back at the idea of parity because I don't think it exists. And I still don't think it exists. But because uh, parity in my my dictionary means equality and there's not equality across the board. Uh, some of these leagues, uh, whether it's the Big 12 or the ACC, th- there hasn't been uh, one of these dominant teams. But, you know, Kansas won the Big 12 outright. And uh, I-, I think there are eight teams, maybe nine, that you would put as prohibitive favorites to win. Like like the champion's going to come out of that group of teams. Yeah, That doesn't mean all of them are going to get to the Elite Eight or, or survive the first weekend, stuff like that. I think we're going to have teams fall down like we do in just about every year. But it goes back to the thing about winning six games. Um, it's one thing to navigate a region. It's yep. another thing to win the whole thing. And I, I just don't see that there are quite as many teams as some people seem to think. 
uh, you know, I, I'm here, you mentioned I'm here at the ACC tournament. And before the tournament, uh, everybody was saying, man, this is going to be the craziest thing. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? This team could do it. That team could do it. And, and we were all telling ourselves, buckle up for a wild ride. And we got the top four seeds in the semifinal. <laughs> and, uh, and some of these games were blowouts. So, uh, you know, when we think we know, you know, we can't even predict crazy. And one of, you know, one of the things that I don't know when this happened, but, you know, my, my job, for example, I, I used to be called a color commentator. Now I'm an analyst. <laughs> and now people, people think that we can predict who's going to win. And we can't. We never could. Mm. You know, NC State won it all in 1983. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Nobody thought Villanova would win it in 85. We've always had stuff like this. We just don't want to admit it. And we don't want to admit that we don't know who's going to win. Uh, we'll make our picks and we'll say it confidently because that's what our companies expect us to do. But if I knew who was going to win, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be in Vegas right now, sitting by the pool <laughs> with a drink in my hand. Uh, and that's yeah. the beauty of this. But but I still think we're talking about the the, the teams that are the most uh, balanced. You know, and I, I, I do use the analytics for some of this stuff. I, I think you can eliminate teams that are not in the top 25 in both offense and defense. Doesn't mean they can't get to a Final Four and challenge. But but it's unlikely. Mm, yeah, I wanted to ask you about this as well. You're obviously at the ACC tournament. Do you decide that you want to cover the? Because obviously the ACC is a bit down this year. It's not one of the you know top conferences as we've seen in the past. I think it's ranked seventh right now. If you look at Kim Palm, but we have the A team. You know, as an ACC guy myself, I'm watching the ACC tournament as you and Dan Schulman calling the games. So the the ACC, even though it is the seventh best league by the metrics, you still have the A team calling. Uh, the ACC tournament games. Is that a decision that you guys make or is that something that that's that's above that the the ESPN executives are like, this has been the bread and butter. So we still go there. Or is it something that's personal where you guys just love being and calling the ACC tournament? Because it does feel so familiar. And as a fan, I'm, I'm very appreciative and I'm getting a little worried that they may take you away from the ACC tournament if things continue to trend this way. Well, first of all, I do love it because I played in this one. Uh, I was an assistant coach at, at Duke back in the day. And so I, I've played in it. If you could call what I did coaching, I coached in it and broadcasting it. So it's a, it's a joyful experience for me. But as far as where we go, I don't have any say in, in that. We get assigned. And uh, Got it. You know, there may be something where our bosses say, hey, what would you prefer? That's happened from time to time, but it's not very often. Uh, and usually that has to honestly, it has to do with, with travel. Uh, mm. you know, are you willing to travel to do this or to, to do this thing? Um, so it, I wish I had say, but I don't. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Uh, I, you mentioned being on the sidelines and, uh, you know, we have the tough jobs. We have the micro microphone in front of us now. I mean, this this is, you know, the hard stuff. But when you look at an old colleague and Hubert Davis that's now on the sidelines coaching um, and, and we're commentating and, and you know, it's so hard to do this. But then you look at coaching and everyone can be a coach, right? Just go ask any of the fans in the crowd in Greensboro. They'll tell you what you need to do and how to do that. Do, do you have ever that kind of feeling where you're like, oh, man, I have an itch to want to wanna go get back on the sidelines to coach? Or are you content uh, doing the hard work of being a commentator or being an analyst, as you called it? Um, has there ever been that moment in time where you're like, oh, I'd be interested in maybe coaching and getting back on the sidelines? Or does it, does it by calling it, make you want to stay far away from it? A little bit of both. Um, mm -hmm. I'm older now. I'm 59. So it, when I first got out of, of you know, being in competitive basketball, it was for family reasons uh, back in the, uh, the early to mid-90s. 
And when I first got into broadcasting, the for me the uh, the challenge was it, it was broadcasting isn't a competitive outlet. You know, you want to do a good job and everything, but there's no there's no competitive result of the game. And it was one of the first times that I'd I'd gone to a game where I didn't care who won. And mm. so I've had 20, 27, 28 years of not caring who wins when you go to a game. You always you're you're always happy for whoever wins and and feel for for whoever loses because I, I don't think I'll ever lose that empathy for competition. But yeah. I, I don't care who wins. I just root for a good game. You got a good game. It it it's, makes it more fun for for everybody. I think mm. uh, maybe not the competitors, but but <laughs> but for everybody who's who's consuming it. But to your question about, you know, do, I've had offers over the years to get back into one coaching and, and other, you know, I've had some discussions about front office stuff, but that was, that was a while ago. I don't see myself doing that, but, but I've never said no to the opportunity or thinking about the opportunity of doing something else, especially at my age, you know, you kind of, I'm looking at how much runway I have left. So um, I, I'm always, I'm always interested in other opportunities, but I, I, I'm completely and utterly content with what I do, but, but I, I would never say no to thinking about something else. Well, you're the best at it. So that makes sense why, you know, you don't have to think about anything else because, you know, we all know that that's the case right now. I wanted to ask you something. This is, uh, uh, an issue that I feel like has come up in the past couple of seasons. And uh, I appreciate that you're willing to kind of stick your neck out and say when things in college basketball are wrong, right? When things are are just ridiculous and they need to be addressed. And one of the big things in my mind that is happening in college basketball that is, you know, almost an affront to the game is these all-conference teams. Jay, have you seen this? I mean, that there are now eight to ten players that are on the first team all-conference list. And it started, I, I saw this year with the Big East, they had six guys. You know, I, I could let six slide. I'm like, okay, six guys on the first team all-conference. That's okay. Then I get to the SEC. They they got nine guys on the first team. Um, what What is this? When did this start? I know that, you know, there's a lot of talented players in these conferences. Um, maybe there's too many teams in the conferences because we have this situation, but I have never seen so many first team lists, lists, you know, more than five guys. I mean, it used to be five guys are on the court. That's the first team. Now we got eight, 10 guys are all on the first team. Have, have you ever seen this and how do we address this? Yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. I think it started when conference started expanding and everybody wants to make everyone feel good, you know, what's right. fair to everybody. But I think you go right to first team All-America. So mm -hmm. first team All-America, the whole country, you know, 365 teams or whatever it is in division one now who can keep up with it. They pick five, five guys. So clearly you can do it. And if we want these things to have meaning, um, you do it that way. But, but it's kind of like the, the automatic bid process. You know, people say, well, it's not fair that a team rips through their conference. And if they happen to get upset at their conference tournament, in a smaller league, they don't get into the NCAA field. And that's not fair. And you're going, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. It's completely fair. There is nothing unfair in the NCAA tournament. Uh, everybody has the same opportunity to win their automatic bid against their peers and get into the tournament. After that, it's the next best teams. And it, that, there's nothing more fair than that. Hmm. But, uh, but if you're in a, a smaller league and you want your best representative, every league can choose how to give out their automatic bid. They can do it by the regular season champion. They can have a, a conference tournament. They can play rock, scissors, paper. They can arm wrestle. They can do whatever they want. <laughs> so that's up to them. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm cool with, look, if, if a conference wants to have 10 people on their first team, go ahead and do it and give out the trophies and all that stuff. And, and, uh, and if you're happy with it, great. 
but don't expect me to put the same weight on it that I do another league that just picks five. Um, uh, you know, that, that's, that's my choice is how much weight I put on it. But, you know, I, I would go, if it's me, you know, I select, you know, first, second, third team and, and all that. And, uh, and I make the voting a little bit, a little bit more thoughtful, uh, cause I vote on some of these things and, and you don't like, you know, why do the school, why does the school get to choose who, who their representatives are? Um, none of that makes any sense to me. It should be every player in the league and, and then vote on it and coaches and media, whatever, um, however they want to do it. But I agree with you. I'd rather be, have just the five. It's just a lot easier when we look back in time and we say, okay, what was the first team in 2023? Right. And then when you see the 10 guys, you're like, well, wouldn't that be the second team? Okay. Well, you know, that that's his own conversation. You mentioned the committee and the fairness of the tournament right now. You know, the selection committee is all in Indiana. They're scrubbing, right? That's the big term that we hear now. They're building brackets and they're scrubbing and, and they're doing all this work. And uh, as I see all the conversation around this, it made me uh, think to myself, you know, the committee over the years has done a great job with kind of like these fun matches ups right that have some history to them they're they're tinted in a certain sort of way so i wanted to ask you as they're scrubbing and building the brackets out what is kind of the the most fun matchup in your mind just as far as like a historical like for me the one that i really hope happens is we're on the 40 year anniversary of 1983 you know houston is a one seed nc state's going to be in the tournament like I would love a world in which maybe an NC State Houston second round matchup and an eight nine type scenario. But is there a matchup that you have that if you're on the committee and you're scrubbing, you're like, this would be fun if we could get this to happen because it speaks to the history of the tournament. Well, it'd be great if they could do stuff like that, but I don't think they do. Okay, um, <laughs> that's know, good to in, know. <laughs> in, yeah, in the in these kind of scenarios, you're you're always going to have whether they're rivalries or coaches that used to coach in another place or, or all these things, you're going to get those just by happenstance because of, of, of the amount of time that all these, all these people and institutions have been, uh, you know, in this enterprise. Um, the, the only, like, I think the NCAA tournament selection process is fine. I, I don't mm-hmm. think there's a lot of problems with it. Do I think it's formulaic? Yes. Do I think the committee has the proper makeup? No, I don't. There, there are a bunch of administrators. Um, and I don't think, uh, you have as many basketball minds as as you could. That doesn't mean they can't do it. Like, I think if somebody put me on the the CFP football committee, I could do it. I think you'd rather have somebody that's got extensive football experience to to make those decisions. But I don't think it'd be all that hard. Um, but but I think it's fine the the way it works. Could it be better? You're darn right. It could. Like we don't have the 68 best teams in this tournament. But but people people like it. And uh, and so I, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I, I think the, the thing that is most important is seeding. And, you know, they say the next best teams after the automatic qualifiers. And then then it's a subjective choice by each voter as to, to what best means. And we've gotten to this quad one stuff and uh, none of that stuff. Matters. It's, it's kind of like, I mean, I'm at the ACC, but. You know, Clemson supposedly is is still has to win their way out of the tournament. I'm going to you watch Clemson play like so USC is is a lock and in and NC State is a lock and in and Clemson trounced them three times. And uh, I, I just kind of don't get that that mode of, of thinking. But um, but you know what? Look, at the end of the line, all these teams have proven they can lose. The issue is who, who can they beat? I still think it comes down to who are you capable of beating? Because in the NCAA tournament, with the exception of some of these really small conferences that may have an upset uh, winner that gets into the tournament, you're going to play somebody good. And you have to prove 
I think if you've proven you can beat good teams, then then you have a leg up. I don't care if you slipped on a banana peel somewhere because you're not gonna. There are no banana peels in the NCAA tournament except for the top seed. Yeah, and I feel like we almost with this quad system, which I am not a fan of either. I mean, I, I don't really mind the net. I mind the quad and the and the conversations about the records with the quads and things like that. But it is wild to me that like the losses seemingly matter more than the wins, right? Especially when you talk about Clemson. It, it feels like everyone wants to talk about Louisville and Loyola Chicago with Clemson. And meanwhile, I watched them beat Penn State, who apparently is in over them. And then, like you said, I watched them beat NC State three times, and they finished third in the ACC while NC State finishes sixth in the ACC. Um, and then if you look at the quad record of NC State, that doesn't really change you know, the, the tenor of the conversation either. It's just, it's all very convoluted and it seems very much like a, a pick and choose conversation with this stuff, which is, which is wild. I wanted to ask you, Jay, you're a West coast guy. You come from California. You're now in North Carolina. I'm a North Carolina guy that's now uh, on the West coast and I've been here eight years and I, I get, you know, my, my outlook has changed a little bit being on the West coast. One team that fascinates me this year, cause I thought they were a title type team is UCLA. Um, and UCLA is a team that with Jalen Clark and with Jaime Jaquez, I thought they had the best wing defenders in college basketball. And obviously Clark goes down, defensive player of the year. They played well yesterday in the first round game against Colorado. Amari Bailey stepped up in that role. But is UCLA a team that they still should be considered a title type team, even without a guy like Jalen Clark, who I thought was their most valuable player? I'm not sure that, that I would put them there without Jalen Clark. Because right. uh, I agree with you. Jalen Clark's one of the best defenders in the country. He's one of the best transition players in the country. I think he and Azulis Tabella scored the most transition points in the Pac-12 this year. And he's a downhill driver that goes right in your chin and and finishes and gets to the free throw line, things like that. Uh, I, look, I think Amari Bailey, it's a great opportunity for him. And he's already shown that he's capable of of doing some things. Sometimes guys need to be needed. And there's a freedom. There's a freedom that comes with knowing that you're needed, and that you can't be taken out if you make a mistake. Uh, so maybe he'll blossom in this role. But but that's a blow to UCLA. Just like Ben Vanderplas uh, being out for Virginia is a blow. I think Virginia can overcome it because of the way they play. They can make some adjustments. They're not a high tempo team, so I think they can handle it. But but they'd be better with him in there. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Kansas and Bill Self. If Bill Self isn't available for the tournament, he's not available for the Big 12 tournament. That certainly uh, puts some doubt in your mind, even though their team is the same. Um, so there, there are some some happenings in uh, among the, the better teams that are a little bit concerning. But but the, the most concerning outside of Bill Self's health, that's number one. But because yeah. uh, these other things are just injuries, that's different than a health issue. But I, I, I tend to think that UCLA took a huge hit not having Clark available the rest of the season. And on the flip side of that, we saw Arizona, you and I, in Maui. We saw them win the Maui Invitational. And that, to me, is the best front court in the country. And I honestly think Tubelis might be the best guard on, on Arizona when it comes to like running the office and getting guys in position. I love their high-low game with him and Balo. Is Arizona, we've seen them win a tournament. We saw Tommy Lloyd tie Bill Guthridge's regular season record with 58 wins. I, I think that's an under-the-radar story in college basketball. Do you think Arizona is one of those teams in the Pac-12 that could make a real run at a title? Because that is a team that still sits in my mind. I worry about the guard guard play a little bit with Creesa because he can shoot them out of a game. But I like Boswell. And like I said, I love that front court, and I could see them making a real run. 
Yeah, they're legit. They don't defend as well as I think they would like or you would like in a contender, but their offense is so good. I mean, they're among the nation's leaders in assists. They share the ball, and uh, Tubelis and Balo run the court so well, they put a lot of pressure on your transition defense and your big guys. Uh, I, I don't know the status of Kirk Reese's shoulder. I think you probably saw he had to shoot a free throw left-handed, left-handed at the end yep. of the game. Which was really pretty impressive, uh, and and he knew it too. He was he was, <laughs> was celebrating afterwards, but it was it was pretty cool to see. It's just not cool that he's got a shoulder injury. So if he's limited, that obviously is a, a limiting factor for Arizona. But uh, you know, they, it goes back to sort of the metrics thing that their defense is a little concerning. Like their their uh, their game against UCLA, they were physical. They defended really well the first one in uh, in uh, Tucson. So I th- they're capable of playing really good defense, but but I, I tend to think that that may be a limiting factor for a national championship. Yeah. One last thing before we get, we let you get out of here and get back to work in Greensboro. I got to ask how the golf game is. Uh, I know you're an avid golfer. I am an avid golfer myself. I, I, I like to uh, to keep up with all the, the, the many people in sports media that love golf as much as I do. I wanted to see how it's going for you. Uh, not as well as I'd like because I haven't been playing, but I'm going to be playing more in the next uh, next three weeks. So it, it, as soon as the buzzer goes off at the final four, I'm putting my uh, I'm putting my golf shoes on. It's going to be all golf the rest of the summer. I love it. I love it. Well, if you're ever in Los Angeles, you're welcome. Come play at my club. I want to take you out. We got to play some golf. He is Jay Billis. He is the man. He is the guy who's going to get you through this weekend in Greensboro. Jay, thanks so much for coming on One Shining Podcast. You're giving me strokes when we play. I'm going to take you up on that. (laughs) Perfect. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com.
All right, there you have it. He is Jay Billis. Um, man, that was uh, that was awesome. Great to catch up with him. Boots on the ground in Greensboro. Always, uh, always fun to hear from Jay Billis. I appreciate him. Uh, you know, remembering all, all the good times that uh, we had in Maui together. So that was great. I did. Uh, I did want to talk to him, Kyle. I did want to talk about you know all the legendary coaches in college basketball that we've lost. He was obviously there to see Bayheim and see the end of Mike Bray, but. Uh, you know, he was in the gym at practice, you know, in Greensboro. So I didn't really lend uh, to, the, to the to the best like uh, full length discussion. But uh, I appreciate him coming on and, and sharing some gyms with us. I mean, he's the best. He, he really is number one. I always find it's like there's a little more pressure when there's like a guy in a gym. You know what I mean? And we we didn't we didn't hear any of the uh, the sneakers. You know what I mean? Going like the the classic you know basketball sneaker sounds, but there were like people milling about. And I just I always get even I'm not the interviewer, and I always just get a little like oh my god, like I, I don't even know how I could focus. This guy's like in the in the second row of the stadium. You see the you always you see feel the banners bad. going around. Yeah. It's like, oh and my and god. they're like watching like their eyes are are watching the basketball obviously because they're in the gym watching basketball. So it's it's you know it's one of those things where you're you're trying not to bore them either, and then also. So they don't want to speak up and and say too much because they have people listening around. It's just it's a lot, you know what I mean. But Jay Billis is such a pro that he made it seem like it was nothing, which is uh, which is why he's the best. I mean, that's I a, agree. That's I, all you I mean, need to know. Has he been asked at length about Jeezy, and that's why you didn't bring it up, or is it just, or is I, it just like has it just been done? Because I, I I mean I haven't you know I don't I don't follow everything. Do him best I can, but you know that that's that's a question I would ask him. But I mean, yeah, if he's my been brother, asked a million times, it's like if you just don't do it anymore, then that's fine. I feel like I've seen him asked a bunch and it feels like every time he's asked, he's asked by like Drew Timmy on the Gimme Timmy podcast. You know what I mean? It's usually like players or or like the the kid reporter from Sports Illustrated that's like, Jay Billis, tell us about Jeezy, you know, and uh, I'm old enough to remember when he was called Young Jeezy. And, right. uh, you know, I'm a Gucci Mane guy, you know, you know this, Kyle. I mean, I in the world, like I remember Summer Jam 07, like. Gucci Mane put out to the world that he was going to kill Jeezy at Summer Jam, you know, and that was like my freshman year of high school. And that was like, there was a beat like Duke Carolina was a beef in my high school. Duke NC State. Carolina, Wait, he said NC that State. in New York. That's he crazy. said that he said that in like heading up to Summer Jam, he was like, I'm going to Summer Jam to kill Jeezy. Like, that's what I remember. <laughs> I, that's what I remember sure. like in ninth grade. Like, that's how. Because, you know, you remember this 2005 So Icy came out with Jeezy and Gucci. Then Gucci got all the royalties off of it, didn't cut Jeezy into it. Then, uh, you know, I mean, Gucci got charged with murder of one of Jeezy's crew members like in 2006. There was a lot of there was a lot of uh, street drama between those two. So I feel like Jay Billis is in the Jeezy lane. I am in the Gucci lane. So you just want to leave well enough alone. Well, I mean, we already have enough differences. You know what I mean? I'm trying to my right. Angelou this. I'm trying to find <laughs> right. the similarities, not the differences. And nor do I want to bring up like Jeezy Gucci beef that I think has been squashed. I think we're all good. I think Guwap seems, is. I mean, yeah, Gucci seems like he's got a new lease on life. He's not into any of that right. stuff anymore. He's preaching like financial literacy now and stuff, right? I Which mean, is, uh, that's what we always wanted for Gucci, aka Guwap at a certain point. And I remember, do you remember when Bill had Gucci on the podcast? Uh, yeah, I remember when he was walking through the courtyard there and people were like, what is, I think some people were like, has Bill lost his mind? What's he going to say to this guy? But it was it's like, like Bill was just using his Bill Simmons, you know, interview powers and it worked. But And, uh, then, and then Bill looked over at me at like, like later on in the interview, because I think he was running out of things to talk to Gucci about. And he looks over at me and goes, ask him the clone thing. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, no, that's like, that's, 
that's not a question that we're going to ask Gucci to his face. That's that's the Internet. That's hilarious. But uh, I asked Gucci Mane to his face if he was a clone. He he denied that he was a clone. He laughed at the question. And let me just say this. I think Radrick Davis is Radrick Davis. He, he If anything, he's just grown. You know, he's grown up as a person. I love Young Jeezy as well, even though I had to pick sides in their beef. TM103, Thug Motivation 103 was one of the most seminal albums of my life. I should have asked Jay about all this. My brother, even this morning before I got on, he's like, make sure you ask Jay about Jeezy. But I kind of panicked. You know, like you said, we're I'm watching him in a gym and he's watching basketball and he's locked in. And I felt like we promised inter- him 20 minutes. It's like, how much, how many, how many Jeezy minutes do you take out of those 20 yeah, minutes? Like right. we are about to start a tournament here. Like, yeah. yeah, it would be, you know what? I'm glad you didn't. It would have been selfish. It would have been it, selfish. It would have been, uh, I feel like our fans, maybe they would have loved it, but they, there would have been some true basketball fans that are like, you got Jay Billis on and you spent 10 minutes talking about Summer Jam 07. What is going on here? Um, so I didn't want to do that, but shout out to Jay Billis for coming on. He's amazing. Uh, couldn't have asked for a better guest uh, to kick things off. And, uh, you know, he look, said he's 59. He looks great. 59. He looks That's great. That's insane. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Usually white guys don't look that great at 59, but he he definitely did. I'm telling you, he's living the right life. I mean, in Maui, I, you know, after, you know, you you watch someone, you observe them from a distance, just how they carry themselves. Like Jay Billis is is living the right life. And his wife, Wendy Billis, is a legend. She was so nice to me, so nice to my to my parents when she met them as well. So, uh, you know, just just good people. You know what I mean? They live in Charlotte, North Carolina. We kind of did the life swap. You know, he went to North Carolina from Cali. I went to Cali from North Carolina. There's some similarities there. You know, it all kind of connects. Jeezy, <laughs> go up. Yeah, you know, Duke, you get it. Duke, you would see. Yeah, it's all. You get it. We're, we're all a lot more alike than we are different. That's what it comes down to. All right. Well, this is this has been a fun Friday show. We got a lot of basketball to watch this weekend. I, ho- I hope everybody's locked in on it. Um, before we get out of here, I want to do a couple shout outs, uh, you know, because that's what we do at the end of shows. First and foremost, I want to shout out the mismatch, the live show that they did at the El Rey Theater on Monday night. Shout out to our guys, Chris Vernon, Kevin O'Connor. Put on an amazing show, Kyle. Had had a lot of uh, fans in the building. I'd say about 500 people. They were turning up. They were yelling out crazy stuff about you know random NBA players. I mean, it was it was a live electric atmosphere. It was a lot of fun. Those guys brought me up on stage, and uh, before I went up there, I'm you know I'm asking KOC, I'm asking Verno. I'm like, what do you guys you know want from me? What what, what are we going to talk about up there? I'm thinking, hey. Let's talk about the the title contenders. Let's talk about, you know, a team like UCLA that just lost Jalen Clark. These are the things I assume. And of course, KOC and very um, NBA draft uh, jargon goes, we're going to talk about Santa Clara. Um, and look, I remember that. Look, guys, I, I this is no shade to Herb Sindek. I'm a big Herb Sindek guy. I like Santa Clara. I like Jalen Williams on OKC. Um, I like Brandon Pojimski. I think he's a great basketball player, transfer from Illinois. That's going to be a first-round pick. But it was just the most KOC moment of my life that uh, we go to this live show, and I, I'm expecting some big-picture college basketball opinions. He's like, no, let's talk about some of these guys that are you know, 35 on my big board, and uh, let's get into the details of those guys. But it was great. It was a lot of fun. Verno's the best. Um, KOC's the best. Shout-out to Sean Finnessy and Chris Ryan. They went up there. Uh, they they were very entertaining as they talked about you know their respective teams the Knicks and the Sixers that was fun and uh, got to see a lot of familiar faces Kyle you know I mean the pandemic took kind of the socialization of uh, of work life away a little bit Definitely. so to go to go to something to see you there in person to see Jim Cunningham our old producer which I mean that was a kind of you know hit or miss moment for me sometimes I love Jim <laughs> sometimes I don't uh, I'm just kidding depends Jim, on what kind of snark he throws yeah, at yeah, you. yeah yeah depends on the snark great to see him great to see the likes of like a Jeff Chow um you know who's the president of the I mean just so many 
people that I got to see that I haven't seen in so long. And uh, people were so nice. So I wanted to shout that out because, uh, yeah. you know, in, in this in this life, in this world, in this work uh, of podcasting, it can be a little bit isolating at times. So it was fun to be around a bunch of group of people and a uh, bunch of good people and talking about basketball. So that was fun. And and you didn't get too hammered, right? You were all good. No, I was doing beers. And then I and then I was I asked the guy, I don't know, like halfway through, I was like, you got the tools to make an old fashioned here because it's sort of like a it's like a theater bar. And you're like, oh, is it only like this one weird gin drink? And he's like, I could do that, man. I think he knew who I was. Uh, oh, yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, at the end, I started ramping up with the with the with the old fashions and he made it. He made a great one. Um, so, so that was good. I thought my favorite part besides, uh, I don't know, would you call Chris Vernon's coat a mink? I don't know what that is. Was that yeah. like a, was that like a mink you get at like a store where you wouldn't buy minks and it's like, uh, it was very, it's like Gucci, a fink? it was very early Gucci man vibes, you know, it was very so icy vibes. It felt, it felt like he could have been in the video or he would have been in, uh, in the movie inception, you know, when they're on the snowmobiles. Like sure. that, that, that felt like the jacket that <laughs> like he had on. Like a sport mink or something? Like right, that. exactly. And when I hugged him, it was like hugging a teddy bear. You know what I mean? I was like, dude, you feel amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, what? Yeah. He kept the glasses on the whole night, I think, with the make. It was like next to Kevin O'Connor, who's got like a blazer on and a T-shirt under it. And it's just, they're the perfect match. I love those guys. It's the only reason it's worked for so long, because their match is great. And then the second favorite part. Literal mismatch. Yeah, yes. And then the second favorite part of the night was watching every, because, you know, the the Ringer folks, and I think like the folks the Ringer invited, uh, had had this upper balcony that was called like the VIP area. There was nothing, if you went to the show, there was nothing better about it. It was just, we didn't have to see you people. That's all. Uh, (laughs) There was no bar up there. There was no food. It was just, you know... tables and chairs like everyone had down there but it was funny watching everybody who didn't know Jim Cunningham was going to be there lay eyes on Jim like when Chris Ryan saw Jim Cunningham he did like a double take he's like what the fuck I thought that guy was out of my life forever and yeah, like, like uh, who let Jim Cunningham in yeah and then it's like you see then they all like fantasy is like oh shit and, you know and, and Jim and fantasy I think even went to the same college and they're like they went you know, to Ithaca the same together age. Yeah, 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 yeah so I you know I just you know, I just, it's funny to see people lay eyes on him because, you know, especially because he's been there for so long. They've all had so many years with him. And then they've just, had, they've had like a gym, like a uh, hiatus for like two years <laughs> or like a year. Or, you know, you had the pandemic and everything. Could be three years. It could be and five then he's just years. just there and they're point. like, holy yeah. shit, buddy. And uh, so that was, that was good. And I felt, I think Jim felt the love there. So that was nice to, nice to see that. Jim deserves to feel some love. And, uh, you know, it's funny, all three of us, because we were podcast producers, we had to work. And it's, you know, kind of this great scenario that we all had to work with so many different people at The Ringer, right? Because we would produce their podcast. We would edit their podcast. And like you guys, as my workload was ramping up, it was like, okay, Tate, you're no longer doing the Mass Man show. Now, Jim, you know, or, you know, so it was like one of these things where all three of us at some point kind of had to cross paths with everyone at that level. So we weirdly... You know, we, we've had to work directly with these people. And Jim Cunningham, you work closely with people. Jim is, you know, as much as I, you know, poke at him and stuff. I mean, he is someone that, you know, loves, you know, these people and loves his work, even if he, you know, denies it and says the opposite 24-7. You know what I mean? He does have a, a, a nice, warm part about himself and his heart and the way he works. So it was good to see him have his moment in the sun. And who knows? Maybe Jim Cunningham starts coming around the ringer some more and, uh, and good things happen for him. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, shout out to the Mismatch Live Show. Shout out to everyone that came out. That was a lot of fun. Uh, my next shout out is another Ringer shout out. I want to shout out a, a man who used to be the third co-host of this show. His name is Greg Oden. And uh, the Ringer, Mirren Fader, wrote an amazing piece um, on Greg Oden um, just about his story. 
Greg is one of those guys that has kind of stayed away from that conversation. If you know him personally, you know, he'll tell you kind of the trials and tribulations of what he went through, but he keeps it close to the vest, keeps it personal. I thought it was great to, to read this story, um, to have Greg kind of own his own narrative, own his own story and to share it with the people. And, you know, you never know what someone's going through, no matter if they're um, a phenom like Greg Oden or just a regular guy, everyone's going through something. So to see that piece, I think it, it will, will get people to, you know, one, understand that everyone's a human. And, and even if you are this phenom like a Greg Oden, you're the number one pick, all that sort of stuff. You're still just people um, at the end of the day. So I, I thought it was a great piece. I was really happy for Greg that he got to share his story. Um, I love seeing guys like LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, putting the story out, saying he's one of the best people because Kyle, you know this and I know this and, and shout out to Mark Titus that introduced us to Greg. I mean, he is one of, um, the just best people, genuinely good people. Um, he went to Chapel Hill to an Ohio state game. My parents, you know, took us all out to dinner and every single one of my family, when we got done, they're like, man, Greg Oden is the best, right? Like he's just, yeah. just the best guy. He really it's an is. easy conclusion to draw. Yeah, right, right. So, I mean, to, to have his story out there, I just wanted to shout that out. And if you haven't checked it out, go check it out on the ringer.com. Great story. Great piece. All right. A couple more shout outs before we get out of here. I want to shout out Julius Hodge of NC State fame. Um, I know a lot of people probably haven't heard that name in quite some time. I think Julius Hodge is uh, one of the best characters in college basketball. He is so funny to me. But um, Kevin Durant, if you didn't see this, Kevin Durant in warmups slipped and uh, turned his ankle. I think it was a grade two sprain. He's out for two to three weeks, something like that. And uh, Kaz, uh, who was a friend of the program, tweeted, you know, quote, I got to know who Chris Paul crossed in a past life. You know, that's what he said <laughs> right. because of the Kevin Durant situation. Chris Paul, yada, yada, yada. And then Julius Hodge uh, quote tweeted that with just a smiley face. And, uh, you know, if you don't read between the lines and don't know Tobacco Road lineage, then you may not know that once upon a time back in 2005, Chris Paul punched Julius Hodge in the balls um, and uh, and did it pretty <laughs> Uh, you know, pretty openly, um, and everyone kind of saw it. And Julius Pop, yeah, you go check that out. It's one sure. of the biggest. It's one of the biggest ACC moments ever. Um, Julius Hodge getting punched in the balls by Chris Paul. And if you watched Julius Hodge back then, you know, as a fan of another team, you might agree that he deserved to get punched in the balls. Um, he he would love. He loves to antagonize people. But I thought Julius Hodge did a great work here. This is when you use Twitter for the right purposes. Uh, it made me laugh. Made a lot of people chuckle. Um, and it's also hilarious to think that Chris, Chris Paul punching Julius Hodge in the balls is, uh, is the reason why things have not worked out for him at the NBA level, but who knows, maybe this is the year, maybe this is the year that Chris Paul finally gets over the hump and wins a championship. Who's to say, uh, did you find it? Did you find the video? Is it up there? Is it I on think YouTube? I'm, I'm coming up on the, uh, the money shot right now. I think. Yeah. It, oh it was, man. Oh yeah. Blatant, Damn, he, right? He was pretty smooth about it too, though. It was blatant, yeah. but he kind of put his arm around him like the other way. Yeah. And it was, uh, yeah. That was very like uh, that was very sneaky, Chris Paul. There's some gamesmanship that Chris Paul uh, takes part in that a lot of people would say is uh, very Duke behavior. But I have to respect it. And look, he went to a private school, and private school kids do private school things. We know how that goes. So uh, you know, shout out Cranbrook. Yeah, when he punched Julius Hodge in the balls, I did laugh immediately. But then I also was like, wow, because I I went to Wake Forest basketball camp Chris Paul's freshman year. 
I saw Chris Paul as a freshman. Justin Gray uh, was shooting guard on Wake Forest and was my counselor. And he's like, that kid's the future. And he was so nice. Chris Paul was so nice, you know, and everyone was excited. He was from Winston-Salem. You know, his grandpa, the story of this grandpa, you know, he got murdered at his convenience store that he ran. Then Chris Paul scored the amount of points of his grandpa's age. I mean, there was just an amazing story about Chris Paul. So this was the first time that there was something kind of sideways that happened with Chris Paul outside of this amazing story that he had. So Julius Hodge made sure we remember that. Shout out to him. Made me laugh. All right, a couple more things. <laughs> Shout out to Wes Durham, the son of Woody Durham, who is the namesake of uh, of this podcast. Wes Durham is calling all of the ACC tournament games on the radio. And uh, if you don't you know, know why that's, that's a fun deal for kids from North Carolina, when we were coming up, Woody Durham, who was the voice of the Tar Heels, would go to the tournament in Greensboro, and he would call all the games, Kyle. So, like, if you, you know, if you were just, he call every game. So he would call the NC state game. He would call the Wake Forest. It was just amazing because it was like your guy called. It's like, it felt like you learned about the other teams through the lens of Woody Durham and uh, Wes Durham and Jordan Cornette, who is uh, his color commentator with him. Um, the two of those guys have done a great job on the radio. So I wanted to shout them out. And, and once again, thank Wes Durham for making uh, the Woody Durham call possible. He is uh He's the person that gave it the green light, and it's obviously his dad's voice, and uh, it makes this show what it is, in my opinion. So shout out to oh, West dude, Durham. That's such a relief. I thought we were just sort of trespassing in this infringement no, waters. No. I was like, I like it. I don't want to. I don't want to bring it up. But we I'm so started. Glad. We started that way. You know, when I first made it, we were definitely in the murky waters, and it, it kind of was like the Tupac thing with "Picture Me Rolling," where you know I had like a signed piece of paper from the Shakur family. I think it was on a napkin that said, "You can use Picture Me Rolling," <laughs> right. and then Bill and I realized like that it wasn't going to hold up in court um so then we had to pivot to pearl jam um but yeah so woody durham west durham uh love the durham family shout out to them uh and my final shout out today and this is something that hit me for the first time shout out to brian ives uh researcher for espn friend of the program uh he found this stat first time since 2006 all the big four teams uh in north carolina so that is your wake forest that is your north carolina that is your duke that is your nc state all made it to the quarterfinals of the ACC tournament for the first time since 2006. Granted, only one team out of the Big Four made it to the semifinals, and that was Duke. But regardless, it was a great moment in time, and it reminded me, Kyle, that the Big Four tournament, there used to be a tournament where all four of those teams would play each other. Uh, It was a big thing uh, in North Carolina, big thing for basketball. We got to bring it back. As the ACC is falling out of favor and people are saying the ACC is this and the ACC is that, the ACC is no good, I think we got to bring back the Big Four tournament. My pitch is to bring it back in December. That's how they kick off the ACC. So it's a tournament where, you know, we match up the public schools first and then the private schools and then whoever wins, they play in the championship game. So Duke would play Wake Forest. Carolina would play NC State. And then the winner plays in the Big Four tournament championship. And then there would still be two regular season games or one, depending on how the schedule works out that year in the actual ACC outside of that. So bring back the big four tournament. Wow. That, that is my you, big pitch. You really are concerned about the ACC. You're throwing a little member berries at it. I, I'm right. doing my best, Kyle. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm I'm a man fighting fighting on his own out here. Yeah, and I, I saw about it. it. I mean, I can just tell, dude. You're you're quaking in your boots, Tape. I, I, uh, I saw Jay Billis' eyes when I asked him about if he's assigned to the ACC, and I was hoping he was going to say, yes, I pick it because I played here, but he was like, no, I mean, there's a chance. No, and that... actually, don't bring that up because I don't want them to change me out. Right. Please don't change it, ESPN, you're if right. you're listening. Please, please don't change it. Uh, so there you go. The Big Four tournament, bring it back. The ACC, 
bring it back. Let's make the ACC good again. I'm tired of this. Uh, I'm tired of Carolina basketball breaking my heart, but it's okay. We're moving forward. The good news for all the the friends of the program that are listening right now is that Selection Sunday is Sunday, um, and we will be doing a show after Selection Sunday. We will have Kyle Mann um, coming back on again. Kyle Mann is going to be our go-to guy during March. I love talking basketball with him. So the two of us are going to react to all the matchups, all the decisions, um, you know, the the teams that were left off the bubble. We're also going to have Sports Center anchor Kevin Connors come on the show. He is the man who does the mid-major top 10 all season. He's a guy that is keeping an eye on the Cinderella stories for us. So we're going to do a little Cinderella spotlight with Kevin Connors. That's going to all happen Sunday night. So if you are uh, keeping up with the show, get ready for that show to hit your feed late Sunday night, um, which will be, uh, you know, a time where I'm very excited. And also on Monday, I'll be turning 30. So you'll see me Sunday night doing the selection show. Monday, I'll wake up. I'll be an old man. Um, it was been a fun run in my 20s, but that's where we are right now. College basketball has never been better. It's going to be a great, 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 great tournament. I uh, I really am fired up. I think you can talk yourself into a lot of teams. I know Jay said that it's still around 8 to 10 teams that could win it. I think there might be more. I think there might be about 15 teams that could win it. We'll see what happens. Um, but this has been One Shining Podcast. Appreciate everyone tuning in and listening. Appreciate Jay Billis for coming on the show. That was a whole lot of fun. Uh, Kyle, anything else before we get out of here? I mean, Tate paid some guy off to get our old Twitter handle back. I mean, maybe you could follow that at One Shining Pod. That guy was great. He was squatting on that thing for years. He was posting yeah. anniversary tweets about it's the second year I've got this. Uh, I got this thing, and uh, thanks to that guy. And uh, maybe we'll get you on the show or something, and you could tell us how much money Tate paid you from no, Figures Network. I got to send him a care package. His name is Harry Joe, uh, and his handle, his personal handle, is at Joseph underscore socks. So if you are not, I still follow him <laughs> on the OSP account. So he's a North Carolina guy. He said that all he wanted was some Bojangles um, and some beer. And I told him those are two things that we can send. I, I think we'll get a care package together and get it to him. Uh, but he is a true friend of the program. Like you said, sat on the handle for a couple of years, made sure that we could get it back. And uh, I'm going to be live tweeting from One Shining Podcast throughout the tournament. I'm going to pick games to live tweet. So if you want to get my unfiltered thoughts uh, throughout the games that are not coming from professional Tate Frazier with the blue check mark, if you want the unverified takes, go to One Shining Podcast. Some curse words, maybe. Yeah, there's... <laughs> There was almost some cuss, cuss words last night uh, during the Carolina game, but I, I bit my tongue. Uh, congratulations to the Virginia Cavaliers. You did it. Tony Bennett's the face of the ACC. Congratulations. Um, but yeah, One Shining Podcast, go follow that. This has been One Shining Podcast. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Excited for the tournament ahead. Excited for all the guests that we have coming. Uh, shout out to our booker, Allison, for making uh, you know all this easier on our behalf for me and Kyle. Totally. Um, this has been great. This has been fun, and we will see you Sunday night. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.